0: And welcome to the VSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy Podcast. It's Thursday, the 11th of May. We've obviously just finished two double-headed bank holiday weekends. So actually, news flow is relatively short, isn't it, Phil? But Phil, how are you doing? You all right? Yes, very good, Andrew. Thank you very much. That's right. It's my pleasure. Uh, now, actually, I'm going to start off today just saying to everybody that there is a new book out this week. Um uh, you can get it at Waterstones because I did this morning. It's literally just come out called The Everything Blueprint by James Ashton. And basically, it is about the microchip design that changed the world, which, of course, is ARM. Now, you could say, well, why do we want to read a book about the history of ARM for? Well, actually, there could be some lessons to be learned. Who knows? But I have to promote it because I've got to just tell you that on page 134, it says. I'm just going to read you a little extract from it. Right. Although much of Arm's IPO preparation was done with the US in mind, Morgan Stanley confirmed investor interest in the UK, which was traced to Lee Morton and Andrew Monk, two salesmen at the city broker Horgebet who had followed Acorn for years and evangelised about Arm during its development. They were sure there would be enough demand to justify a stock listing in London too, which is what we then went and did. So uh, it's nice to see that my recognition for helping in the creation of Arm which was probably the UK's, one of the UK's most successful companies, is recognised in a book. Are you impressed, Phil? <laughs> yeah, I'm usually impressed, Andrew. Oh, yes. Anyway, uh, now, actually, last week I wasn't on this recording because I was in Israel at uh, Tel Aviv, uh, which I've got to say is Tel Aviv is like Margate on steroids. It is the most run-down place I've ever known. All the buildings are 1960s. But my God, it's got a lively life. Um, 24-hour party, not that I was, by the way, I was trying to sleep, but you couldn't for the noise. Um, but basically, it was all all tech companies presenting at this Go for Israel conference run by Kukuman, uh, which is one of Israel's largest investment banks that I also had sort of meetings with, shall we say. Um, and it actually was very interesting. But, I mean, we... we I had sort of chats with some of the companies there, Adionics, Robotican, Snappers, Storedot, Stargo, Extralit, just to name a few. Um, The only problem I found was that, you know, they it would appear they haven't realised that tech valuations have come down across the rest of the world. They still have valuations in mind that are ludicrous and most of them weren't making any money. And as we all know, there's not a lot of money around at the moment to go into funding these companies. And they didn't really seem to have totally appreciated that either. So some really interesting companies, but they need to get real and realise what's happening in the the rest of the world, unfortunately, I think. Um, And uh, sadly, I think it's fair to say that the rest of the world is finding life pretty tough at the moment. Uh, For want of a better word, the window is shut when it comes to funding. Um, People just don't have any money. Um, And it's not, of course, helped that uh, we're recording this actually at um, half past 12. And the Bank of England has, of course, just raised its interest rates again from 4.25% to 4.5%. you have a view on that, Phil? Uh,
1: Well, it makes savings rates more attractive, which means money goes elsewhere rather than necessarily into stocks and shares. So it does make it a bit tougher. And it's been a very fast rise, hasn't it? um you know since january and it always takes time for these things to ruffle through but i i do remember reading that uh, a lot of reports on interest rates historically and saying like five percent was a sort of normalized area to be at really rather than down at zero where we were or the extreme sort of 15 percent that we saw in the 80s
0: yeah, I, I mean, I, I've been saying that for about two years that 5% is the sort yeah. of where they should be. And I think we've said it on this podcast. But what I would say is by the whole sort of, well, there's two points i have made. First of all, in the West, we're all raising interest rates together. And what that is like, I was trying to describe this to a client, it's like everybody at a football match standing up together. Actually, it doesn't help. You all still can't see anything, if you sort of I mean, because you've all stood up together. You may as well all have stayed sitting. At least you were comfortable. And in the current environment, I think that's really what we should be doing with interest rates. Actually, we've, we've all followed each other. So we we're, none of us have benefited. We should have all just stayed sitting uh, because, of course, the trouble is raising interest rates. What that does is it puts more pressure on businesses. So they try and push up their prices to recoup it. Pushing up their prices increases inflation. That's what we're trying to solve. So it's a sort of it's I mean, one of the problems is. Uh, We're moving away from tech here. I completely accept. But one of the problems is that the the Bank of England only has basically one lever to try and get inflation down. And that's interest rates. That's like trying to fly a plane with just a throttle and no control column. Now, you can do it. And actually, funny enough, when I was learning to fly, I did do it once. Actually, you can actually, instead of having ailerons and that sort of thing, you open and close the windows and the doors. And I did actually manage to land a little Cessna 152 with just a throttle and not touching the control column. But it's bloody tricky and bloody dangerous, frankly. I don't recommend it. Um, so, and I think that's where where the Bank of got stuck. What I found interesting this morning is that actually inflation in in China is dropping rapidly. It's sort of below two percent. CPI, and and you know they're actually looking to cut interest rates now in China to try and stimulate activity because inflation has you know basically fallen away completely. Now. This is strange that China, the East is doing the opposite the West, or are we going to follow the East? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I don't actually think just pushing up interest rates at the moment is going to achieve what I think it will. It's the wrong lever. That was well, a little bit of economics. Sorry, I threw that in on a tech and transitional energy podcast.
1: No, but, it's, but, but it, look, it's, it's all important and clearly impacts the sector and demand on the sector. I mean, I was reading about the, the uh, sort of employment uh, numbers in the UK as well this morning. Um, You know, this is latest data from KPMG's jobs report about recruitment trends in April, and it said that um, permanent recruitment activity fell at the fastest pace since January two thousand and twenty-one, when the UK was in COVID lockdown. This is in April, Um, and it's saying has slowed down were in the IT and retail industries, hotels and catering. So, you know, if we start to see, well, as you. very clearly aware as an employer, Andrew, that you know employee costs have been going up um, because of shortages of employees, and now you know the data is saying that that may not be the case. So, so you know we will see see what impact it has on inflation. Um, other, I tell you what, other interesting. This this caught my eye, um, and given uh, I was at a, I was at a technology investment conference yesterday in Cambridge. Um, and talked to a number of businesses, and they a very interesting thing came up. Is if you read the news, you really do think that everything's going to, you know, complete doom. Whereas actually, you talk to businesses, and not necessarily the case. Um, but this was a this was a, head, a headline on uh, overseas-funded so this is inward investment coming into the UK. And this was data from Ernst and Young um and it said that the uk saw a number of overseas funded projects decline by around six percent in 2022 but that the uk um still attracted the second largest amount of foreign money into europe so this is foreign direct investment and they're counting the projects if france attracted the most investment with germany third behind the uk um, and it said that one reason for this drop was a declining tech project, but the UK still ranked ahead of Europe in the technology sector in terms of numbers of, 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 of new projects. And at this conference yesterday, Andrew, interestingly enough, Herman Hauser, who was co-founder of Arm? Yep,
0: yeah, was, yeah.
1: He, was a he did, he, he did a, a, a great video interview with Herman Hauser, and it was about the challenges for the UK tech sector. And he came out with a great stat, and he said that the UK ranks third globally for tech startups and thirteenth for scale-ups. So there you go. And that he, you know, one of the biggest challenges he saw was the scale, you know, the, the amount of scale-up capital available for companies, but also um the skills that are available within the in the sector to build big big companies. But but just quickly getting back to this Ernest Young report, um you know, you've got to remember that we've come off record levels of investment in 2022 VC. There was 23 billion was raised for UK businesses. Second like highest level since 2014. So you've got all of these tech companies that are being created that are gradually building up. Um, but, you know, there's certainly, as you say, a shortage of capital at, at, around at present, but that they are going to need funding. So let's see what happens there.
0: Yeah, and, you know, uh, stock markets come and go, don't they? We've experienced that over, I've experienced that over the 40 years I've been doing it. And uh, sometimes when it's at its most darkest and its gloomiest, um, it's time to invest. I mean, you know, I know people could say, look at Berkshire Hathaway. It's it's got one of the highest cash positions ever had. But actually, that doesn't mean to say it's negative. What that means is it's felt negative in the past with all the cash there. They may well turn one day and suddenly invest it. all. So I think, you know, one shouldn't get overly bearish. Now, look, Phil, we've, we've waffled on quite a lot here. Um, people listen to this uh, really to hear sort of updates on tech and transition energy. Uh, have we actually got any? Oh, it's Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, we I have. think we better kick off on them then, right? Oh, Let's right. rattle through them too. Okay, Andrew. I'm, honestly, Andrew, saying I'm waffling, on am nothing like it. Right. <laughs> Maybe. No, I was accusing myself of what, don't worry. I <laughs> was well, for a change, I wasn't accusing you actually, Phil. It was, it, was, it was rhetorical. All right? <laughs> right. Come well, we, get on, get on with the results. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Look, the aerospace sector, all important in the UK and uh, important for tech companies as well. Uh, so we've got some specific news on companies in the aerospace sector. Uh, one of those is Melrose Industries. MRO is the ticker. Um, and recently, Melrose spun out its uh, automotive tech business. So remember, Melrose acquired GKN; it was turning business around. Spun out the automotive business; it's under Dowlays. D W L is the ticker. Um, but Melrose is now very much focused on the core aerospace business, which is which is um, airframe structures, electricals, landing gear, etc. Um, and they said. That um, they have hiked their full, they've increased their full year guidance after trading in the first four months of the year was materially ahead of expectations. So that's quite key news in uh, an indicator in aerospace. There and it's expecting revenues of uh, three point four billion, underlying profits of uh, to three hundred forty to three hundred sixty million. Um, so you know that that was interesting for me. Also, uh, we saw results from uh rolls-royce as well and that was a trading update uh very closely watched remember the shares on rolls-royce new chief executive came in in january announced his strategy for the business uh the shares are up 50 percent year to date um down slightly today this trading update um but they had said uh and quite importantly in terms of an indicator of aerospace demand that they were seeing flying hours up so this is aircraft using their engines remember rolls-royce makes profits on uh you know maintenance and service and spares so the more hours aircraft flies the better it is for rolls-royce in terms of its profitability so it it continued to see the uh the, the flying hours up uh it saw strong progress in defense uh, for submarine programs, for reactors, but also new aircraft engine orders from India. Uh, the one thing the market didn't see, and I'd have been interested in seeing, is small nuclear reactor news, because Rob has that technology. Um, but I think that the UK government has said that it's opening up uh, that market to tender. But that would have been good to see.
0: It was actually their AGM. That's why there was a trading up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, on your flying hours, and I don't want to turn this into a a travel uh, podcast, but it's a sector that I follow a lot. As you say, flying hours is going up. There's a lot of been in the press recently about how airlines are making mega profits at the moment. The reason that's because they're flying less capacity, so they've been able to hike prices dramatically. I did notice that Heathrow Airport, which publishes uh, monthly sort of stats, et cetera, but is not Mm. quoted, actually today, they actually said there are early indications that passenger growth may be levelling off. Now, if passenger growth really does level off, and I think it will because prices have just got so high, and we are seeing that um, Boeing are pushing out very heavily discounted aircraft. We saw Ryanair put in a massive order for yeah. about 400 or so aircraft, yeah. the 737 max. Actually, we may start to see yeah, overcapacity come back into the market, which would be good because then prices could come back down again. Uh, from Rolls-Royce point of view, that's fine. The more aircraft out there, the more engines, as long as they've got their engines selected. Um, but just be careful on that front. Anyway, I won't go on to the flying front because I can talk about that for hours. Uh, carry on, Phil.
1: Right, so that's that's Aerospace. Another important sector for tech is industrials. Um, and Spirex Sarco, particularly SPX 8.3 billion market cap, they have an AGM trading update for four months straight for the end. Um, and Spirex Sarco produce um, various steam technologies, um, but for controlling steam in industrial processing, uh, but also specialist pump technology that goes into the medical sector uh and they they, they these big companies always give sort of information that they gather on on, on the sector that we get a, a proper view and they said that industrial production growth this is broader industrial production growth is forecast at 2.8 percent uh this year uh that's sort of you know that was an interesting figure sort of given where inflation's at but anyway they they're saying that was a global figure um and they have said that uh, their growth was in line with expectations, uh, which is all sorts of fine. Um, but they said that their um, specialist pump sales and medical research, as well as Watson Marlow's division, were lower compared with the same period in '22 um, because of the high demand seen from biotech and pharmaceuticals in in the sort of COVID period. So that's another sort of an interesting indicator. I thought for the med tech industry sort of on on spend there and a pattern of what's uh what's happening there but they said that the order
0: phil you've just uh muted yourself phil you're still on mute this is going to be an interesting podcast because phil has suddenly gone on to mute uh, i can't understand why um and i'm back off mute sorry andrew that that was a very amateur mistake. Anyway, I was sort of filling a little bit, which is to be a bit of a weird podcast now because I'm going have a funny little blank in the middle of it all. But carry on where you were, maybe. Right, quickly. <laughs> my apologies. Right, uh, so sarco,
1: I was just commenting on their uh, results for their industrial equipment, uh, but they were reporting record order books. So we're trying to watch at the sec- you know, what companies are reporting moment, especially larger ones, on on sector demand. So that was good on industrials, but they're set on the medical side it's slower because of a prior stronger period so that was uh, that was that um just quickly on tech we saw that uh one disco which uh WND, data data activation platform as it describes itself this is the one where there have been accounting potential accounting issues uh, for they've appointed an interim chief executive which will be a relief for shareholders stephen kelly now you come across him before andrew he was the chief executive of sage uh, previously, and the Chief Operating Officer of the of, of UK government, so a very senior guy that they brought in. Uh, just on construction, smaller one, this is Elico, ELCO. They have software for the construction uh, for construction projects. They had a trading update, and they had said that uh, trading performance three months of the year is uh, solid progress. So I'm well positioned ahead, so it looks like a hard, you know, Pretty decent trading statement there, all but brief from them. And that
0: is about it, can we? OK, I'll give you a couple of others, actually. Uh, we saw this morning that Numas placed about 9% of Ashtead technology at 360p. They've actually gone up today to 393p. Uh, we have talked about this quite a bit on the past. Uh, it's a great business that was spun out of Ashtead. Um, it's... it's um, it was uh again when they write a book on Ashted like they've written a book on arm I-, I should be mentioned in that as well um but you know the fact that you can place nearly nine percent of the company the stock goes up is very positive uh, and then the other one was i don't know if you saw illica this morning yes I uh did. but they had a bit of good news they've sold some some product uh, i think the market has been Again, hoping for something like this to happen, so they've been marked up seven percent. ilika has got some great technology. The problem is, you know, with solid-state batteries, it is clearly it's um, commercializing it, shall we say? Uh, it started like pretty much as a one better word, and please don't take this wrongly, as a sort of a university. Well, University of Southampton, a bit of a project, shall we say, uh, bumbled around for ages and ages. Suddenly, everybody got excited when that sort of the transitional energy boom took place. Shot up to 250p or something. and then the transitional energy collapse took place. It's very similar to the Internet around 2000. And of course, it fell all the way back down, but it's now slowly crawling its way back, so that was one too worth just pointing out. Yep. But if that's what we got, that's what we got. that's fine. I'm happy to wrap it up there because we've got pretty busy, and it's a short podcast. um Some people might be relieved on that film. It probably will be, and I promise not to uh, press the mute button uh, next week. It was a bit of an amateur mistake, but it shows that we're doing it live. Again, if anybody's got any comments, feedback they want to give us, please do. We love it. Give us something we want to talk about. Very happy to do that. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Thanks.